Welcome to Short Stories from a Whitewater Guide. I'm your host, Max, and today's episode is part five of my Grand Canyon adventure. It had been a few years since my old life ended and my new one began. Time heals all wounds. I had left Colorado a few times, and I kept returning. I enjoyed the mountains and the trails. Kava was happy and fleeless here in the western state, and so we stayed. I saw her, my ex, every so often, and each time it burned and stung a little less. I liked my job, and I liked the people I worked with, and it was through them that my life was changed. A co-worker called and explained that a customer had mentioned they were going on a Grand Canyon trip in January. Granted that it was only a month away, and the holidays were right in the middle of the planning time. Plus, I was homeless, and I had a dog. He still felt compelled to tell me about it. So I drove over and listened as he described the details of the trip as expressed by the customer. She said it was going to be a six-day trip, doing all 225 miles of the canyon. The trip would be only kayaks, no rafts. It was to be a longboat trip. The longer and narrower a kayak is, the faster it goes. If the kayak is V-shaped in the front and the back, it tracks in a straight line really well. But it does not turn. It's not designed to turn. It's designed to go in a straight line. So these boats are terrible at turning. On the other hand, a flat or round bottom boat with no V-shapes turns quickly. Super easy. It's designed to turn. It's designed to make quick moves. The trade-off is it's difficult to keep straight. Basically, it is a sea kayak or touring kayak versus a whitewater kayak. Now, the young lady mentioned that there was only a few people going. My co-worker smiled and said I should do it. I will admit it was tempting. The month before he had called and mentioned another group of people during a similar trip, launching at the end of December. They were looking for people to join their trip. At this time, I was still in Florida, and it seemed impossible to be prepared, so I turned it down. I took down the girl's information and expressed that my main concern was Kava. I really didn't want to put her in a shelter or a kennel for that long. It was going to be roughly 16 days. And I did not know enough people that I could ask to take care of her. The universe provides opportunities when a push is needed. As I discussed the trip and the sheer enormity of it all, and that there were just too many reasons not to do it. Two other co-workers came into the shop and joined the conversation that I was having with Chris. As fate would have it, they were off for the time of the trip and said that they would love to take care of Kava. They were excited to take her. She's an awesome dog and I loved her very much, so letting her go for two weeks was difficult, though in the long run, very healthy for both of us. The universe had stepped in, and Kaba was now not an issue. She was going to have an awesome vacation. I was blown away that such a big door had opened. I stumbled in the beginning with flip-flopping back and forth on going or not, 
The enormity of the trip was weighing heavy on my mind. The list was daunting. It was January, the middle of the freaking winter. Forty miles a day? I am not twenty anymore. Can I keep up? What am I going to eat? Granola bars? This is crazy. I can still hear Mark saying, get it done. I can see his smile. It is difficult, the resistance I felt, to going on this trip. I did not know these other paddlers, and it was not the way I had always envisioned making my first trip down the Grand. No, it was not the way I had planned at all. I let those thoughts and resistance go, and in some cases it was like walking through a spider web or a plastic sheet feeling the resistance and then breaking through and peeling off the clinging layers and strands. I walked Kava and argued with myself about going or not going. My mother used to say that if her bags were packed, then she must be going. I kept packing my bags for the grand. I called and met with the young lady who had come in the store, and we hit it off pretty well. After that, the ball began to roll, and I was about to embark on an epic personal journey. I had only a few choices when it came to the boat I, would, I could take. The first boat I chose was broken and unable to be repaired. My other two options were a used 15-foot, 8-inch sea kayak or a brand-new whitewater expedition boat. Needless to say, it was easy to get my boss to agree to the 16-foot sea kayak and it was a craft I had always wanted to paddle on a river. In hindsight, I just accepted that it was what I was going to paddle, and that I must make the best of it. Taking the other boat seemed wrong. Big Yellow, as she became known during the trip, was fast and heavy. Add to the weight of the boat all my gear, and she became unruly. Set her on a course, and she went. I liked the look of her. She spoke to me on some level as a paddler, and so I said yes, and I began thinking of all that I would need to bring for the trip, and how that would fit inside her belly. She would be my lifeline for six days. How she would, was packed was important, and what was brought even more so. Lake Kayak versus Whitewater Kayak I have heard it many times from those who have little experience with kayaks that they are all the same. It's true that they are a plastic shell mostly, and the person sits in the middle and pulls on a double-bladed paddle, or as many novice will say, an oar. A kayak paddle has two blades. A canoe paddle has a T-grip at one end and a paddle at the other. An oar has no T-grip and is super long and heavy. For me, the important part is that in both a sea kayak and a whitewater kayak, there are what are known as thigh hooks, places within the cockpit rim to brace one's knees and have much more control and balance over the boat. It means that a paddler can, in a sense, lock themselves into the boat. It also means that the boat can be rolled upright if it tips over. Swimming is not an option in some rapids. It's part of the rush of it all, knowing that you have to punch out and swim. It's one of the questions asked of a paddler in the mind. Can I run that line 
without getting trashed and having to swim? Because I don't want to be out of my boat. That looks like a nasty swim. There are a whole host of other reasons to not swim as well. Hypothermia on cold days and cold water. The amount of energy it takes to swim and clean up all the gear that's been thrown about if it was not securely fastened to the inside of the boat. Shoes! Get my shoes! Often can be heard on the crowded rivers in the summer. When going out into wilderness, getting cold and wet can mean death. Especially if not prepared to make a fire, have dry, warm, appropriate clothing, food, water. It is easy to project that it would be simple to start a fire and get in warm clothes. Yes, until it starts raining and there is no overhead shelter or dry tender, someone in the group forgot the tarp, it could go to hell real fast. The wilderness can kill you, and at the same time, it can heal you. January, one of the coldest months of the year, and this is when the trip was planned. Cold and being wet were two of the main factors that I planned around. It's another reason that I chose to take Big Yellow, for space. I needed space for all of my crap, you know, for the coffee maker, the placemats, extra shoes, coats, shoes, gears, shoes, food, nice camp chair, pad, sleeping bag, pillow, oh yeah, bringing the whole house with me and a sack of potatoes too. In reality, being cold was my number one factor going into preparing for this trip. And in hindsight, I was very lucky that my companions were more up on the food than I was, or we might not have made it. One of the most important lessons that came to me during this trip was one that I spent my life working through, and that is my eating habits. As a young child, I took medication that suppressed my appetite, and over time, I grew to not want to eat until I was already an emotional basket case. Hangry is the term being used these days a combination of hungry and angry. It became very clear on the first day that if I was going to survive this trip, I was going to have to change the way I approached my meals. The energy it took to control the weight and the direction of the boat was enormous, and I strained those first few hours of the trip to find the energy to keep going. It was a task to continue to pull my arms and move my torso in a manner that allowed me the most efficient use of my body. By only using my arms, I was depleting those small arm muscles. I was not using my core and my shoulder strength to my advantage. I had not eaten breakfast and had not had lunch when we made our first stop on the river. I ate a granola bar and paced back and forth trying to stay warm. I had not drank enough water either. Because as we began to launch, after lunch, my right hand began to cramp up. I was barely able to move my pointer finger. It was terrifying, and yet there was little I could do about it. The hand and the forearm were exhausted. They were completely used up, and we still had miles to make it before camp that night. I continued to flex and extend my fingers all the while struggling to have the pointer finger released from its curled up position. That was the one positive. My finger was curved to hold the paddle. I began to drink as much water as I could, and I also ate an energy bar. I focused on paddling, 
and my body adapted as did my mind. The cramping subsided and the fatigue dissipated. The subtle rhythms of the paddle and the sound of the river, the canyon and life bring a level of clarity that the modern metal world cannot. By dinner, I was still very famished, though I was filled with fluids and a lot of carbs and protein from the pasta and sausage that I ate. The following day, though I had slept very little, my body was charged and I felt a strength I had not had the day before. I made sure to eat as much as I could the following days of the trip. As soon as I felt cold in my arms, I ate an energy bar and I drank copious amounts of water. I felt stronger, more confident as a paddler when I ate correctly. It may seem obvious, and in my daily life, I got used to winging it, to living off coffee and crap. Here in the canyon, she was to have none of that. I had to eat to live, and to survive this trip, eat is what I did. I hope you enjoyed listening to part five of my Grand Canyon adventure. Part six will be coming out in the coming weeks. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and share it with a friend, a couple of friends, family members, anybody that you think might enjoy listening to this type of content. Also, if you'd like to be a sponsor, make a donation, or shoot me a message, you can do so by clicking on the appropriate button on the home page. I would love to hear from you and would greatly appreciate your support. I'm looking to upgrade my equipment and create more awesome content for you to enjoy and share. Thanks again for listening to Short Stories from a Whitewater Guide.